This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. Format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Carvertize. Travel season is heating up and there's no better time to make sure your destination's message is in front of your target audience. Carvertize is the nation's leading Uber and Lyft advertising company and they literally drive memorable advertising campaigns using a national footprint of over a half million wrappable Uber and Lyft cars. Whether you're looking to reach snowbirds, outdoor enthusiasts, lifestyle experiences, or nearby families, you can count on Carvertize to deliver just like it's done for hundreds of national brands and destination marketing organizations. Send your fleet of wrapped Uber and Lyft cars to concerts, NFL games, trade shows, food and wine festivals in the markets from which you're looking to drive visitation. Yeah, that's a pun. Learn how your destination can dominate the streets at carvertize.com. And if you're in Toronto next month, attending Destinations International, be sure to stop by and see them and learn more on how they can extend your reach. And now on to our show. Tavis Hall has served as Executive Director of Experience Waterloo for four years. In addition to a complete organizational rebrand, reorienting the organization to a DXO model, Tavis has worked to position Experience Waterloo as the destination's leadership organization on multiple levels, not shying away from issues of race, politics, justice, or equality. Prior to his tenure with Experience Waterloo, Tavis served as the director of Main Street Waterloo and as a district representative for the U.S. House of Representatives in northeastern Iowa. He also worked on a number of campaigns from local referendum to presidential campaigns. As a lifelong Iowan, Tavis has been honored every day to promote a community that he proudly calls home and that has shaped his perspective. In January, he launched his campaign for Black Hawk County Supervisor, winning the Democratic Party nomination on June 7th, and is now running in the general election in November 8th. And you can learn more and support his campaign at TavisHall.com. Tavis, welcome to DMOU. Hey, what's going on, man? How are you? Hey, you are. Hey, first off, congratulations on your primary win earlier this month with an amazing 68% of the vote. And we'll get to that part of your story in just a bit. But first question for you. In a world in which so many people tiptoe around the possibility of maybe offending somebody, you took a bold step when you sub-branded Waterloo as the black capital of Iowa, which, let's be honest, Iowa is in the top 10 of the most white states there are. So tell Mm -hmm. us the genesis of this campaign, why you thought it made sense and what the response has been so far to being the black capital of Iowa. Sure, sure. So, you know, first, thanks for having me oh, on. absolutely. Uh, Iowa's an interesting place, and Waterloo is, is especially interesting, you know, in relation to the rest of the state. Iowa is the fifth whitest state in the country, and uh, Waterloo is um, 16 to yeah. 17% black. And so that really is a national yeah, average. Right. But in a state that is you know, largely defined by its homogeny when we're looking at race, you know, to have a place that, that is that different can sometimes, frankly, be a little bit of a barrier for us. So much of our market is other Iowans coming to Waterloo or, or weighing the option of coming to Waterloo. We saw that, quite frankly, 
some of the negative stereotypes that are associated with black communities uh, were being associated to Waterloo because of our higher percentage of African-Americans. Really? And instead of sort of shying away from that, right? Right. This wasn't a place of opportunity. This wasn't a place of, you know, X, Y, or Z. We decided to, to fully embrace who we are as a community. Frankly, it's something different. In a state where so many other communities look so similar, to have a place like Waterloo that has a different flavor uh, than the rest of the state really presents an opportunity for folks who are looking for something different, looking for a different type of experience to come in and, uh, and check us out. And, and frankly, for those folks, there's about 250,000 black folks that live in the state outside of Waterloo. And so that's a, that's a great segment of folks for us to reach out to and, and make sure that, you know, when you are walking around a town and you don't see folks that look like you, and you are visiting a place and you don't see folks that look like you, it can sometimes be a mm-hmm. little bit unnerving. And so we wanted to make sure that, you know, we were telling the story of inclusivity uh, and, and being a welcoming community, not just in our words, uh, but, you know, it's inherently in who we are. And so uh, having uh, a campaign and a, a sort of mini brand, micro brand that speaks to our blackness uh, is a cool opportunity for us to get in front of folks and and, uh, you know, it didn't come without headache uh, to create uh, the, the campaign. At its core, the Black Capital of Iowa is a statewide directory and uh, redemption uh, program for Black-owned businesses across the state. Well, I wanted to ask you about that because at its core, you know, this is focusing on Waterloo, but you've expanded this through your website that you are honestly mm-hmm. representing black owned businesses throughout Iowa, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you know, we really decided to sort of lean in and say, Waterloo is going to take the mantle of being blackest place in the state. And that's going to require us to step outside of, you know, typically a DMO is going to promote the businesses that are within the geographic boundaries right. of yeah. that destination. Sure. What we're saying is that we're taking some level of not ownership, but inclusion of those businesses that speak to sort of who we are as, as a core, as our community. So it's a, it's a different approach, but it gets us in front of audiences that we maybe otherwise wouldn't have gotten in front of. And to position Waterloo and, and our brand as the black capital of the state of Iowa it's a cool opportunity for us to interact with businesses, be supportive, not just of Waterloo businesses, but businesses and uh, communities that should feel uh, at home yeah. here in Waterloo. You know, one of the services that we uh, have offered over the past decade or so is called DMO Vision. And it's essentially, if, if you watch, and I know you do because you're you're a politician now, but if you watch the... Um, uh, the debates, usually uh, you know, before the presidential elections, you'll see the, uh, the, the, what's called dials, right? And, and, and you, know, you can see that people are, are responding to what a candidate is saying in real time, you know, whether they are Republican, Independent, or Democrat. We use the same technology to look at tourism ads. And the fascinating thing that we have found over the past decade mm-hmm. in doing that work is when a person of color comes on 
in a video in front of a typically white audience of rankers who are doing the dials, there is absolutely no downtick. It, it just isn't there. And I think that there has, has been this concern mm -hmm. by some destination marketing executives that if we go to black, does that turn people off? It doesn't. It absolutely doesn't. But let me ask you this. Was there a downside to you locally in a community, as you said, 17, 18% black, mm -hmm. the biggest percentage in the state, but it's still <laughs> it's less than one in five. Did you get a pushback uh, in the community to say, hey, what are you doing? Yeah, we, we got some. To be quite blunt, it uh, was along uh, an ideological lines, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, it was, frankly, the same folks that were saying, uh, and they would just comment, you know, uh, all businesses matter when we were talking about promoting black businesses, Got right? It. it was that yep. sort of thing. Right. Yep. We knew we were going to catch some of that, but we also knew that we were strengthening ties in incredibly meaningful ways. Yeah. We have a, an attraction that just opened up actually this, this past week, the first original themed, uh, original concept theme parks uh, in decades uh, opened up in Waterloo, Iowa. It's a, it's a huge project. And you know, research shows that, that black and brown families in particular uh, patronize theme parks and amusement parks at especially uh, at considerably higher rates than white families. And so it's important for us as we look to reach out and, and increase the number of attendees to that theme park for us to have a, a, a line of communication with black travelers uh, and brown travelers where so much feels and so many places across the state feels like everybody's the same that even in those mm -hmm. places where folks might look the same, they sometimes feel different. And so when you have those visual cues that it's okay to be different, like everybody knows I was really white. It's okay for a place to, to sort of lean into its blackness. If a place can do that, regardless of whether you are, you know, Jewish in a largely Christian state, whether you are gay in a largely straight state, right? Whatever your, whatever your version of other is, you can feel home when you see a place promoting themselves as open and embracing mm -hmm. and proud of being a fellow other. Yeah, I love that. Love that. So next question, you recently went through a strategic planning process in which you essentially said, that the M in DMO is not marketing and it's not management. You essentially said DXO, which I think is fabulous. You said that we are really destination leadership organizations. So share your philosophy on how you got to essentially ditching the M. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we, we sort of view X as that, you know, that algebraic X. Uh, we are the destination yeah. whatever organization. So sometimes that means we're going to be marketing. A lot of times that means we're going to be marketing. But sometimes that means uh, we're going to be public health. Sometimes that means uh, we're going to be, you know, an events organization or a, uh, a research organization or a, a more traditional economic development. Or we, we are going to be whatever the community wants us to be and needs us to be at the time. It really is one of the benefits of being in, in a smaller market is that Frankly, there's not as hard of lines. Um, there's not as, as hard of definitions. 
there's not as many organizations sort of competing for the same space. And so it allows for us to flex our muscle a little bit more and, uh, you know, really create our own masterpiece on this thing where when our destination, when our community needs us to step up, we need someone to step up, they know that we're one of the organizations that can do it, whatever it is that needs to be done. Sometimes that's going to be placemaking. You know, whatever it is, there's, there's all these cool opportunities for us to move the needle when it comes to our communities. And we really sort of stepped back and said, all right, this isn't moving the way it should, or that's not moving the way it should. It ultimately impacts folks considering Waterloo as a destination of choice. Are we comfortable with just sitting back mm-hmm. and saying, man, I wish it was better? Or are we going to step up and lead? And we decided internally and, and the board agreed that it was it was time for us to position ourselves to swing the bat however necessary. And isn't that really who we should be as destination leadership organizations is, you know, the, the, the fabulous old, you know, if not us, who? And we've seen so many destination management, marketing, leadership organizations take that step that you look around and you go, okay, guys, this isn't working. Who, who's going to take lead? And everybody says, not us. All right. Well, <laughs> if this is going to be a destination in a community that is attractive yeah. to the rest of the world, somebody has to step in. And that looks like that's for Waterloo. That's you guys. Yeah, and it presents us a great opportunity. You know, there's always threats to any DMO. For folks to be able to look at Waterloo, to look at experience Waterloo and say, we can't possibly afford to lose them, right? We can't possibly afford for them to not have a seat at the table, whatever it is that we're doing. We need them integrated Mm -hmm. into promoting community and and, and moving us forward. For us to be one of the first organizations uh, that folks look towards and, and lean on to get important things done really helps protect us from any DMO's largest threat, which is being irre- irrelevant. We are inherently relevant because we aren't just siloed, right? We are at this point a nearly completely cross vertical organization that can jump into any space yeah. and do whatever needs to be done uh, or at least provide resources to, to get us there. Yeah. And I think during the pandemic, I think a lot of DMOs kind of inherited that scenario, right? This is not our job to save people's jobs and save people's businesses, but we have to. And that was, I think, the thing that made me, you know, I've been in this business, as you know, for you know decades, and I've never been prouder of the destination marketing organization sector than I was in March, April, May, and June of 2020, because we all almost in unison did that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. We flipped and we, we saved businesses. We saved jobs, unlike any other organization in our community. And I think that we all now are beginning, uh, like you're doing, and I think that you're actually taking lead by saying that you're a DXO in saying, okay, so we did that. And we were successful. And now we have a much bigger mandate in our community than maybe we all realized. I think I think that mandate may have been there, but we may not have understood that. So I give you a lot of credit for what you've done there and you know how your philosophy is 
is evolving. It's one of those things where you look out and you see the opportunity and nobody is stepping forward. And I, I think that's a problem in our communities today is so few community development organizations are willing to take a risk. Yeah. And I think that's probably who we are. So anyway, last question. I was talking with a DMO pro last week who said to me, the only way that we change government's view of what we do as DMOs is to work from the inside. And you recently stepped forward and you're going to do that from the inside. You won your primary handily, I may add, for the county commissioner in the fall. So tell me what compelled you to do that. Right. And besides the countless hours and even more meetings that you're now signing yourself up for, <laughs> is there a downside to a, a DMO leader stepping forward into a political environment as a politician? Yeah. I'll answer the, the last part of that question first, right? I mean, it, it's DMOs have this muscle, right? That we are, that we have historically been very hesitant to exercise, but it's a hell of a muscle, yeah. right? Like the rock doesn't wear long sleeve shirts for a reason, yeah. right? Like when you've got a muscle like this, you rock it. You wear that bad boy loud and proud. <laughs> and for whatever reason, we've refused for too long to sort of show our cards, right? And to, and to delve into something that might be controversial. And yeah. it largely means we're not doing enough, right? If, if we're not going to step up when it's time to step up, then what is our purpose, right? It sort of drives back to that, to that earlier conversation. So, you know, it really is sort of an extension of that. Running for office can be really intimidating for folks. Yeah. It may not be for everybody, but for the folks who do feel some sense of calling towards public service, it shouldn't be muzzled because someone is a DMO director or a marketing director or whatever their position within, an or within a DMO is. It's not like we do inherently controversial work, right? Sometimes it becomes controversial. But that's, that's really other people's perceptions of it. The work that we're doing is ultimately promoting community, trying to better community. And that should also be the same mm -hmm. motivations for folks to serve public office. And so that was why I decided to jump into this race, right? Is I looked at our current board of supervisors and I said right. um, to myself and, and to some other folks, you know, I see some of the great things that other communities are doing when local governments and organizations such as Experience Waterloo, DMOs, and other economic development organizations. I, I see what they're doing when they're all in concert, yeah. and I see the right. disconnect here. And it was an opportunity to just do better. And I think if folks are motivated to really get into the trenches on some stuff, yeah, it's more meetings. But ultimately, they're meetings I was going to be in anyways. I'm just going to wear two hats instead of just one. And instead of, instead of being the guy who says, man, I wish that could change, it's an opportunity for me to be the guy that says, damn, this thing is going to change, right? Like, we're going to have the ability to adjust and, uh, you know, work with colleagues and other elected officials and course correct when need be and really do some transformational, some cool stuff when the opportunity presents itself as well. Yeah. So here's the question, though. You're absolutely right. Is just because you're leading your destination marketing organization or your DXO doesn't mean you shouldn't run. 
just as an accountant or somebody who runs an advertising mm-hmm. agency or somebody who runs a car dealership. They have the right to run, and you should do that. But the difference is, is that for the most part, your organization runs on tax revenue. So is there an issue there in mm-hmm. your mind that would cause there to be a, a kind of a disconnect? Luckily for us, you know, our hotel motel tax is, is collected by the city ah, perfect. where perfect. I'm running for a county position, right? So there's not a, there's yeah. not a conflict okay. of interest. Frankly, if you know, I've, I've joked with folks, if there's a conflict of interest, it's that my job is to promote the cool and interesting things. And for the last 30 years, county board of supervisors have done nothing that was interesting or cool. <laughs> so <laughs> there's not, there's not an actual conflict, right? You know, ultimately, I think a lot of us are in this work because we care about the places that we're promoting. And for me, it spoke to uh, my soul, right, to seek office and help uh, influence yeah. uh, from not just outside, but to your point earlier, uh, from within government as well. But government really does control so much of what we're able to promote, how we're able to work in this industry. And for us to really be woefully underrepresented, the interest of, of DMOs, there's not a ton of elected officials that head up DMOs or that have experience within our organizations. And so I would argue that it really puts our industry at a disadvantage that we've been so sort of sheepish on exposing, you know, our own personal political beliefs. It's not as if no one expects us to be agnostic politically simply because we work within tourism, (laughs) right? Like that's a, that's crazy. Now I had a life of campaigns and, and political involvement prior to my service with experience Waterloo. Um, And so that was, you know, on some level it's, it's sort of, baked into my personal brand. So it's mm-hmm. not a, a huge shock for folks on a local level that I'm, uh, that I'm seeking office. Um, and, and I'm not sort of shying away from the fact that I'm, I'm a Democrat, uh, even in a state like Iowa. Um, but a place here, a place like, like Waterloo and Cedar Falls and, and Blackhawk County, it's okay to sort of be who you are. This is also a position where it's a little less about the you know, ideology of, of a particular party. And it's more about community betterment, mm-hmm. just frankly, caring. You want to elect folks that, that care and want to do good. And um, frankly, if DMO directors are not known as some of the top folks who care and do good about a community, that's a whole nother conversation. I think directors are really in, a, in an interesting position. And as the world starts to accept politics a little bit more as an exercise of free speech and not just as a, you know, the sort of, there is still an honor in public service uh, and it should be more honorable. I think people want it to be more honorable and they want to elect people that care about the places that they call home. Yeah. And I think that DMO executives should be some of the top folks uh, on recruitment lists across the country of folks who should be looking at running for office because we are motivated by the fact that we care. And hopefully we can get back to that point. As those who follow our um, monthly Z News newsletter, uh, I talked last month about the fact that when I was at uh, a DMO back in Madison, back in the 90s, 
it was a whole different world. And I, I want so badly to get back there because the guy that was probably the most absolutely diametrically opposed to everything I stood for, and I, him, could still go out for a beer because it wasn't personal. Mm -hmm. It was we had two different viewpoints and we wanted the best for Madison. I was just, I was watching a video of him the other day uh, during the convention center conversation that we had in Madison back in 91, two and three. And the passion he had, he was absolutely convinced he was right. And that's great because that's the discourse we all need. And, and hopefully you can bring that because in, in our pre-episode call, you said, you know, there's really a lack of understanding at the county board yeah. of what the visitor economy really is. And you can help by being one of them and hanging with them on a regular basis to educate them, to to bring them along and say, this is pretty cool. And, and you yeah. need to be part of it. So it's very, very cool. So listen, time for your bonus round question. And it, it continues in the uh, in the political vein. For those of us that are political, you and I both are, yeah. the Iowa presidential caucuses are a pretty wild process. And you were there on caucus night sure. in 2008, working on then Senator Barack Obama's campaign. Tell us about that night. Yeah. So you sort of lead up to those nights. My first week of uh, working on uh, then Senator Obama's campaign was his announcement tour. Oh, uh, and wow. his last stop of the first day uh, was in Waterloo. And, okay. you know, folks didn't know what to expect. And campaigns up to that point, you know, you, there was a lot of backyards, a lot of kitchen table conversations, you know, maybe in, in somebody's basement, there'd be a candidate, right? And it's, it's one of the beauties of the Iowa caucuses. It's, it's this really intimate uh, experience and exchange with, you know, not just future presidents, but uh, ambassadors and and all these really high power individuals who really set policy at, at incredibly high levels. So up to that point, that's what it had been. And we had then Senator Obama in a uh, middle school gymnasium, and it was insanely jam-packed, right? And it just sort of set the tone <laughs> that folks could tell this was just going to be different, right? Yeah. And there was, you know, you think back, it was, there were sort of three sort of main candidates, right? Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, and John Edwards. Mm -hmm. And so that was in, uh, that was, I believe, January of 2007. And caucuses were January of 2008. So it was full on. It was a long haul. And so uh, I remember that last week of the campaign leading up to the caucuses, uh, I literally slept in the office. Uh, I would wake up. I'd, I'd get about four hours of sleep. Uh, so I was working about 20 hours a day and it was, yep. you know, you dedicate so much of your life. And this is the case for the candidates that didn't, you know, those campaigns that didn't go as well either. You, you, you dedicate so much of your life to this cause that, you know, that last week, you know, you're just, you're going to be running off fumes anyways, but you burn it all. Um, you, you, you know, you've invested so much up to that point. So I get to uh, the caucus location because I'm from Waterloo. I got to actually caucus. So I get to my caucus location and, you know, I could, I could tell it was busy. The way that caucuses are set up is they project off of the previous caucus attendance of, you know, what to expect. Right. So the room that you're going to be put into at a middle school, which is where we were, is based off of, you know, who caucused in 2004. 
uh, and those numbers within that precinct. And, you know, campaigns are just sort of creatures of data. And so they all sort of look back and say, okay, well, you know, yeah, of course, everybody says they're always going to turn out and vote, right? Uh, It's just a matter of who's actually going to do it. Folks hadn't turned out in caucuses in, in large numbers in the past. And so I get to my precinct. And I think we were expecting somewhere between 50 and 75 people at our precinct. So I, I walk in with uh, some, some folks. And this was, this was a neighborhood that very close to where I grew up uh, in Waterloo. So I knew a lot of the people in the room, right? My aunt was local chapter of the NAACP. She was the president. Uh, I had a couple other uh, cousins and aunts that were in the uh, in the room as well. My dad was there, and I remember walking in with this kid that I grew up with, and just leaning over to him and I, and just saying, "Is Farrakhan here?" Because I hadn't seen that many black folks <laughs> in in one room for a political reason ever in my life. It was amazing, right? And and the lines, the, the entire hallway of this. Uh, middle school was full. I mean, shoulder to shoulder from the door to the back of the hallway full of people. And, you know, these poor election workers were were just completely overwhelmed. Uh, So they finally got to a point. I think caucuses started around seven o'clock, if I remember right, or were supposed to start at around seven o'clock. It ended up being like 830. And they finally just said, it's clear who won. Barack Obama gets all of the delegates, right? Like it was, it was because there was, you know, no offense to the three Bill Richardson fans out there, but he wasn't really moving the needle compared to Barack Obama, right? I actually remember sitting in a bar maybe two weeks before the caucuses and Joe Biden walks in because really like that really is the stuff that happens in Iowa. Joe Biden walks in and he's, he asked if he could count on my support. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I'd had a couple and I, I turned to him and I said, I'll tell you what, if you're viable and Barack Obama isn't viable in my nearly all black precincts, sure, I'll go ahead and caucus for you because you've got, you know, it's got to be like 15 percent. Otherwise, a person can't vote for you. Right. So, you know, I sort of smarted off to the future vice president and ultimately future president of the United States. And, you know, <laughs> it, it is what it is. Uh, it was, he, he was super good natured about it. Right. But the caucuses really are this really great experience and so uh really it was it was one of the highlights of my life to be able to jump up on yeah. stage and and, wow. and let me be the person that announced that of the i think it was 13 delegates barack obama carried all 13 right and, and wow. as, as i'm looking out into this middle school auditorium right i see my aunt and i see my my dad and i see some 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 cousins and friends and um, just people that i had seen throughout this campaign you know really all coming together on this on this one moment yeah. uh, and recognizing you know, they hadn't announced that he had won the state, but knew that, that this was that this was something special. It was. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, great story. Tavis, love the way that you think, love what you're doing in Waterloo. And more importantly, best of luck in the sure. uh, general election in November. For those who want to support you, yeah. it's TavisHall.com. Check out the website, which is fabulous, by the way. And uh, we wish you the best. Appreciate it. And let's keep in touch. This is going to be fun. Let's do it. Let's do it. Thanks, man. All right. Hey, thank you. That's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers this is where the best and the brightest get together to tell inspiring stories for DMO pros. And thanks, too, 
to our sponsor, Carvertize. Travel season is heating up. There's no better time to make sure your destination's message is in front of your target audience. Carvertize, the nation's leading Uber and Lyft advertising company, literally drives memorable advertising campaigns using a national footprint of over a half million wrappable Uber and Lyft cars. Whether you're looking to reach snowbirds, outdoor enthusiasts, lifestyle experiences, or nearby families, you can count on Carvertize to deliver just like it's done for hundreds of national brands and destination marketing organizations. Send your fleet of wrapped Uber and Lyft cars to concerts, to NFL games, to trade shows, to food and wine festivals in the markets from which you're looking to drive visitation, all puns intended. Learn how your destination can dominate the streets at Carvertize.com. And if you're in Toronto next month, attending Destinations International, be sure to stop by, see them, learn more on how they can extend your reach. DMOPros.com is where you're going to find more on our services to the DMO world, plus links to the book Destination Leadership, the biggest DMO job board on the planet, as well as links to earlier episodes of DMOU. That's DMOPros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time.